Game on, weeknights from six on two FM. And a very good evening from Damien O'Mara. You're very welcome to the Thursday edition of Game On. Busy programme to come between now and 7 o'clock. A reminder, before we get stuck into business, this radio station tomorrow evening will bring you coverage uh, of the Republic of Ireland against Albania in the UEFA Nations League. So uh, tonight kind of becomes our weekend preview night. So we're going to chat rugby uh, with Mike Prendergast in a couple of minutes' time. Obviously, the uh, bronze final in the Rugby World Cup tomorrow, the final itself, uh, South Africa against New Zealand to come on Saturday evening so Michael will be with us on that Shep will be with us to chat about all things US sport and Paul Curry is with me in studio to chat all matters soccer you can text the programme our number is 51552 or you can find us on social media at Game on 2 fm Game on on 2FM. Paul Curry, how are you? I'm very good, Damien. It's good to see you. Um, There's an awful lot going on. Um, I kind of don't really know where to start the soccer chat, so (laughs) will we start with the national side in action tomorrow night? Um, We're going to hear from Eileen Gleeson in just a minute, but let's call a spade a spade. Two wins from two, two really impressive performances. Um, Hungary, Northern Ireland, the other two teams in the group, there is no excuse for Ireland not to go on, and they've seized the initiative to completely get the stranglehold on this group and top it. Yeah, it should be it should be relatively straightforward. Tomorrow against Albania, I mean Albania picked up a point against Hungary and were beaten by Northern Ireland and you would say Ireland in in both games against Hungary and Northern Ireland looked relatively comfortable. I think it was important those two results under Eileen Gleeson that we kind of stepped into a new era and to a, an extent a different style of play and I think we did that quite well in our first two games and it's about putting the building blocks in place now to gear us up for the, the European qualifiers that will come quickly around the corner and the Nations League similar to the men's side of things Damien is a really good opportunity to just get a bit of form behind you but also give you that option of going through a playoff if we were not to do too well in the group. And the important thing as well is and I don't know the extent to which it could have been in doubt but like the crowd at the Aviva for the game mm. against Northern Ireland was phenomenal these games in Tala are all sold out that there's no post-World Cup I don't want to say hangover yeah. backlash whatever it is like the obviously there was so much scrutiny and a great division around the departure of Vera Pau but this squad is as supported as they ever were Absolutely it was actually the best game that I'd been to from a, a football perspective in quite a number of years just the atmosphere and the reception that they got a lot of the I guess the atmosphere around the men's team has been a little doom and gloom in, in recent times and uh, the women's side has a completely different feel and I guess what we're hoping is that the the atmosphere and the reception is is somewhat emulated in Tala and has been the home for, for the women's side over the last number of years so it is important I think just to accept what was the Vera Pau era what happened in the World Cup and just step into the Nations League followed by the European qualifiers and just put a string of good results behind us the group that we're in Damien we are far and away above the standard of the other three sides it's important now that you know Caitlin Hayes and, and the likes who came into the squad in, in recent games just to get a couple more minutes into their legs try to get a couple of combinations between the team and, and try to strike up a bit more balance within our play I think a lot of the talk was around Vera being overly negative I don't think we should jump from being overly negative to excessively open um, I, I think there needs to be a balance and I think we saw that in the first two games I'm sure Eileen and the coaching staff will be hoping to build upon that against Albania in the game tomorrow OK so uh, they opened the group with that 3-0 win at home to Northern Ireland in that historic game in front of nearly 36,000 people at the Aviva Stadium followed it up then with a 4-0 win away to Hungary 
three. So the start of this double header home tomorrow night um, against Albania at Tala Stadium. That's a 5.45 kickoff. Don't be deceived if you're on your way to Tala or you want to watch it on the television or listen to it here on the radio if you're on the road uh, ahead of the long weekend. It's a 5.45 kickoff. And then away to Albania on Tuesday evening. So Ireland top of the group. Uh, two wins from two. Seven goals scored. None conceded. Eileen Gleeson, the interim head coach. But does that record maybe, maybe raise questions about her wanting to stay on in the job on a permanent basis? <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's never about not wanting this job. It's about, you know, the importance of the head of women's football role as well. So it's, it's a super, super, you know, difficult decision to make or choice to have. Um, but, you know, when we're, when we're training and we talk about concepts of supporting close and supporting away, so... I'll still be with the girls and taking care of Irish women and girls football. So I think it's just a little bit step away from that position, but to be still looking after the girls from another another perspective. It has gone well, though. Has gone really well. Yeah, yeah. It's a real, you know, it's a real pleasure for me to be working with the girls. They're they're a great bunch, really positive, lots of energy, and lots of real willingness to to learn and be open so yeah I'm having the time of my life and do you know how close um, the FAI are to finalising the the appointment of a a new women's manager yeah I think you know we're close with well the long list and now working through that to develop the short list and do you think it'll be before Christmas oh I don't know is the answer to that I guess it's you know making sure we have the the right candidates and then the right short list and then following through with the with the process what about opposition Albania to play them um, back-to-back, as it were? Yeah. Um, and we've seen in men's football the way that Albania has improved rather dramatically. Yeah. Um, I mean, what can you tell us about the opposition in the women's side? Yeah, I can tell you like they'll be well-organised. They appear to have a very clear playing philosophy. They like to play out from the back. They're trying to build up. Um, they've got some really good players, particularly their 10 and their, their wide, right, wide left wingers. So, you know, they've got... A lot of opportunity to exploit us if if we don't bring her, you know, 100% and allow that to happen. But yeah, we expect we're not expecting anybody to roll over for us. And you know, the expectations is we'll take three points or six points from this camp. But we have to. I keep saying it. We have to make it happen. We talk about that with the girls. And yeah, we think, like you said, the men's games developed. The girls probably has a way to go in terms of resources afforded to them. But. They're going to come out, they're going to go at us, and we have to be ready for that. That's uh, Eileen Gleeson chatting to our correspondent, Tony O'Donoghue, uh, earlier today. Um, Paul, the, like, there's a very strong case to be made for Eileen Gleeson mm-hmm. to stay in the job, but equally, you'd imagine from someone like her who's dedicated her life to football, obviously um, has come through the ranks of Irish football. She's in the job as head of women's and girls football. That the, the the wave, that like the rising tide that's lifting all boats, It it's... The honour of managing your team versus the legacy you can leave by playing a significant role in the overall development of the game. It's a bit of a catch-22 situation. It is. It very much is. And I think we could do a, a lot worse than Eileen Gleeson if she did want the job. And she seems to have the respect and also the likability factor. And the players seem to enjoy playing under. Whether or not she wants that job is probably a question that the FAI are, are trying to suss out right now. If it isn't to be Eileen, Damien, I think we need to sort this out ASAP to get the right person but into the role. Because Are they right to leave her in for the full Nations League? And <laughs> Sorry, <coughs> full Nations 
Nations League and do that business behind closed doors? <sighs> I don't think so because I think if you're a new manager you probably want the Nations League games if you think about the level of team that we're playing you maybe test a couple of things out you get to know the players a bit more you implement a, a playing style and a system that you want to see within the team I think you want those Nations League games to try things out I don't think you want to go fresh into a European campaign mm. you know with a, with a new manager getting to, to blood in the squad and get to know the players it'll be interesting to see how this one pans out because I think Eileen maybe the longer she's in the role might get a taste it yeah yeah, and and maybe just say okay I'll take it for the European campaign and we'll see how we go from there but the problem they have in terms of bringing a new manager in is you've got these games back to back now on Tuesday and then you've got two games back to back 1st and 5th of December and at that stage it's game over ball burst in terms of the Nations League so that window Mm -hmm. to bring somebody else in and let's be very very honest you would imagine if a formal decision has not been made around the senior men's manager's job it has to be something that's keeping Jonathan Hill and Mark Scanlon awake at night yeah. in terms of um, what's or Mark Hannum awake at night in terms of what's coming down the tracks that I'm not saying one job is lesser than the other but there's a lot of stuff going on in Abbottstown one would imagine there is, there is and financially maybe their hands are tied to an extent but you have to imagine that those conversations around the women's job in particular are taking place right now like the World Cup was quite a, a, f- a few months ago and um, we had known for quite a period of time now that fear wasn't going to be kept on so I think getting somebody in is, is vitally important but if you look at the, the squad in particular you know Katie, Denise O'Sullivan, Caruso who was excellent in, in the last round of fixtures and in the World Cup Caitlin Hayes they're all sub 30 Courtney Brosnan in, in that age profile as well you're not working with a completely ageing squad mm. I know there's maybe individuals who are maybe at the latter end of their career but the basis of the squad is really strong and the age profile is, is very good too that you can look at the European Championships and the World Cup and say okay I've got the cohort of 7-8 players who fit like perfectly into the system and maybe we need to blood in a, a couple of youngsters but that has to be an attractive job for, mm. for somebody yeah. Um, with the right experience to come in there and say okay I can take this to the next level ok I'm uh, getting me marks mixed up so Mark Canham is worried about managerial appointments Mark Scanlon is the League of Ireland man <laughs> who's worried about how the first division playoffs and everything else goes um, we've got Shamrock Rovers away to Pats tomorrow evening in the Premier Division it's live on RT2 television um, Rovers 65 points from 33 games uh, Pats in second place 62 points from 34 games so a win for Rovers tomorrow night um, will secure the title I'm there will I be seeing Shamrock Rovers celebrate by close of business? Yeah you, you would like to think so um, purely on the basis of the form that maybe they've picked up in, in the last couple of weeks the performance against Drogheda I know Drogheda were weakened but it, it was fairly clean on their display and even the three points against Shelburne the week before they've got that feel where they're just rolling into games and they're just doing enough to get the job done and I would expect tomorrow listen that point would, would be enough when you look at the goal difference between the two sides I'm sure Pats Damon just looking at the league Pats have lost 10 games this year 10 games and only 3 points behind I know they've played a game more but what could have been for the chasing pack if they were just able to pick up a bit of form and I said earlier on in the year that I thought Rovers win it by 10 points if they win tomorrow they won't be far off that um, How good like listen to emulate the team of the 80s and you know you've you've had experience of what Shamrock Rovers is like any of us who've ever attended um, Tallis Stadium the whole tunnel area is completely emblazoned with memories of the past and the players are aware of the weight of the jersey that they mm-hmm. wear it's going to be some significant achievement for them to emulate that team of the 80s and win four in a row it will listen I, I joined just as Stephen Bradley had taken over and I can tell you that the the squad the feel around the ground the expectations has completely changed in that period of time and that's maybe Listen, I understand they have a bigger budget than the majority of teams in the league, but the job that Bradley has done 
to get them from you know a middle League of Ireland side to actually being one that's going on the verge of, of winning four in a row is superb mm. um, I, I don't think he probably gets the credit for that I know maybe other teams have fallen to the side in that period of time but to have that consistency over that period of time I think he deserves a lot of credit and you would you know, you would suggest that there's probably more in the bank there. I know there's a couple of players who are maybe over thirty that they will need need to move on in time, but the the quality that they have in the squad, like they've been without Jack Byrne for the majority of the season. Dylan Watts has struggled with injuries. Rory Gaffney's been in and out, as has Richie Tell. They've still managed to get the job done. And actually when you look at the two fullbacks, Trevor Clark and Neil Ferruja who offer so much in wide areas to Shamrock Rovers they've been without them for huge parts mm. of this season um, and it's hard to see at this moment in time anyway how a team bridges that gap I know Derry have made strides Pats as well Pats probably use, lose a couple of their younger players at the end of the season there's still a bit of a gap between say Derry and Rovers but when you look at you look at Rovers you, you talk there about the age profile in the women's squad so like Alan Manis we know will depart and retire at the age of 41 at the end of the season uh, Ronan Finn 35 Rory Gaffney 34 Aaron Green 33 Richie Tell 32 Sean Gannon 32 Ricardo, like mm. Roberto Lopez um, Stephen Bradley spoke earlier in the week about the potential for a 5-6 or a 7 in a row there's going to come a point at which they need to make difficult decisions the challenge you have is if you've got players of that quality and that profile if they are still under contract it's difficult to get them out the door in the current climate because there's not an awful lot of clubs are going to be able to pay what Shamrock mm. Rovers are mm. paying Yeah and so, listen some of the figures that you hear have been thrown around from a League of Ireland perspective is money that was not available when I entered the league mm. in, in 2000 and, uh, 2009 it, it will be difficult I think what they've done quite well in, in recent years is that they have cherry picked a lot of the talent that has come back from the UK if you look at Rory Gaffney he's done particularly well when he's come into that team even likes of Daniel Cleary who's gone and come back and then they've picked up probably the best of the rest within the league like Pico Lopez was a signing that I know Bose fans would have said was a, was a superb player did people see him going on to be the centre half that would lead them to no, but it's, I don't think it's, a huge but doesn't it show you the benefit of full time football it does it yeah. does and I, listen you look at the facilities that they have I think the stadium looks fantastic now with, with the four stands the training ground that they have they are still the most attractive club if you're a player that you want to play for and you would imagine listen some of the players that they've, they're bringing through I thought Razzie looked really good when he came on against Drogheda the other night they will bring, bring players through you would expect Liam Burt will kick on a gear next year even looking at the bench Dylan Watts was on the bench the other night Aaron Green hasn't kicked the ball too much this season they still strength and depth have by far the best squad in the league and I'm sure Stephen Bradley will be you know, really disappointed about how the European football went this year even the FAI Cup the league was probably a minimum for them and I'm sure they will look to kick on again next year So um, Shamrock Rovers we expect then league champions to be crowned tomorrow evening Pats of European football confirmed Derry um, obviously well placed in third place to, to secure that spot you look at the race for fourth and, and for people who don't follow it the top three obviously automatically qualify for Europe fourth will be brought in if St. Pats were to win the cup final against Bowes um, you've Bohemians 55 points Shells 54 points Dundalk 52 points um, so, I can't remember who it was somebody had permutations online uh, <laughs> over the weekend where all three teams based on how the last two games of the season go it was quite feasible that they could all finish level on points and goal difference would come down to it so um, you look at tomorrow night like Bowes away to Dundalk it's such it's one of those old cliched six pointers because Shelburne should get a result against UCD at Tolka Park um, like it's so important for Bose to win that game I say there's a few nerves in the daily is there Sure, I'm neutral in all these things. <laughs> I'd say there's a bit of squeaky bum driving up the M1 tomorrow. Yeah, it, lo- it, it looked like Bowes had picked up in recent weeks, and then 
suddenly the brakes seemed to have, have come on and, and that result against Pats was, was very important wasn't it the one in Daily Mount where, where they were beaten 1-0 but you look at the games that Shells have to play like they play UCD tomorrow night and then they play a Drogheda team who are already safe you could, so you, where's, where's you, your head at if you're a Drogheda? I, I think Shells will pick up six points in their last two games mm. and that leaves Bowes in a precarious position going to Dundalk albeit Dundalk are, are not in, in the same sort of form that we're I guess we haven't seen any sort of consistency from Dundalk this season but it's still a difficult place to go if you need a win and I think looking at that table I think Shells will finish above Bowes <laughs> Silence says it all Silence says it all um, which, would, which would leave you yeah, needing to win the FAI Cup final yeah. and us just a lowly members club trying to go up against St. <laughs> Pat's with their benefactor uh, oh come here I have a present for you hang on go on talk amongst yourselves here has anyone sent you a picture of the UCD Bowls programme from page 12 from a couple of weeks back sorry this makes great radio between the silence now and me handing you over uh, so I went over to went over to the Bowls watching Bowls against UCD and reading my programme at half time and look what's looking out at me from page 12 a youthful Paul Curry yeah yeah. Um, a slimmer Paul Curry I wouldn't say that not that much <laughs> Jesus you're looking you're, you're, you've kept yourself far better than most um, UCD 11 points from 34 games 19 points adrift of Cork City second from bottom you're eminently well qualified to talk about like UCD you look at all the players say who played under Pete Mahon and went on to do phenomenal things in the league and you know the same situation has happened under Andy Myler in recent years and other managers that have been there um, but there are justified questions to be asked about where mm. UCD fit in particularly in a Premier Division you know setting well it's always been cyclical with how players seem to, to come in progress and then move on and then once that cycle finishes they do seem to struggle um, and, and this season has been very much that way with just 11 points I think the issue now Damien that they're having is players are actually leaving younger mm. uh, you know if, if you look around the league particularly at St. Pat's the likes of, of say like a Tommy Lonergan has probably left UCD a lot earlier than may have happened in, in previous years and, and then you see the likes of Kerrigan has moved on as well and the, uh, the Whelan has gone but the, the problem earlier. the problem not the problem the challenge that UCD faces is years back the scholarship was such yeah. a unique endeavour and it was like you know I remember even being in school lads that were, were talented footballers around the area and there was talk of he's hit the jackpot he's in mm. course he's on course for the UCD you now look at maybe the duty of care that other clubs have taken on that there are so many link-ups with universities that, yep. that there's more competition absolutely yeah, absolutely. Know. like when I when I left um, secondary school in 2009 my options were to go full-time at Bose or to sign with UCD on a football scholarship or go to the UK and what made most sense for me at that moment in time was to continue my education play in the League of Ireland it was the first division at the time get a you know 50 100 games under my belt and then look to go across to the UK and that's the way it panned out right now if you look across the age profile of the league it has gotten younger and if you look at St. Pat's as a really good example the likes of an Adam Murphy or Sam Curtis these guys are getting opportunities to play in the first team yeah. higher up the table um, in a full time environment and also be able to balance their studies even in secondary school like secondary school students being able to train full time that is an absolute no brainer for them and that has led to increased competition for UCD I think what's going to be interesting to see now is whether or not they can bounce back again it feels like the talent has maybe been drained from from the university and from the scholarship programme to an extent I still think they'll come good again but whether or not they'll be able to mount a challenge to get out of the first division that will be interesting to see because and like I mentioned the talent's getting cherry picked out of UCD at 19-20 as opposed to 23-24 realistically you can't have a situation 
if you if you have a league on merit, you can't have a situation where you say, well, UCD have won the first division, but they're not entitled to come up. <laughs> yeah. Or likewise, you know, yeah. like. But to be nineteen points adrift is pretty. And and Damn. Galway coming up makes it far more attractive yeah. from a fan's point of view to increase attendances. Even the the away trip to Galway, I'm sure that's something that fans will be looking forward to next year. I'll always stand by UCD. I think when you look at the talent that a drip feeds into the into the division, like the team I played with, I, I wouldn't be able to rhyme off the number of league titles mm. that's been won from that squad, FAI cups, and and players who've gone on to fantastic things, and even all the way through to Liam Scales who's playing in the Champions League yeah. against <laughs> against yeah, Let's Go Madrid last and, night. And looked, How I'm many like, other teams in the League of Ireland can say? Look so at place. A um, couple of other stories to fly through um, as we go through it. Um, the Sandra Tonoli story, um, banned for 10 months by the Italian Football Federation, so he's not eligible uh, to play until August. He'll also be unavailable for the Euros next summer if Italy were to qualify. Obviously joined um, Newcastle from AC Milan back in July for £55 million. Um, th- 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 I'm kind of torn on this because players in all sports are educated to the nth degree about the relationship between the sport and gambling and the precarious position that they are in in terms of information they have and everything else. But on the flip side, and maybe more importantly, is there is a potential addiction at the centre of all this and you would wonder about the duty of care. Um, like it is For a guy of 23 years of age to miss football for 10 months, it is a very, it's, it's quite a severe sanction. Yep, and football does have a problem in this area I, all I, sports I, yeah, yeah gambling there's so much time in your hands after training and we, sorry we can be accused of being not you I can be accused of being you know talking out of both sides of my mouth like I'm not naive enough to suggest that I know the important role or the prominent role that the gambling industry pays in financing the sponsorship of sports the sponsorship of elements of broadcast sport but it's a I don't want to say a dangerous element, it is a problematic area within sport. It certainly is. And for, listen, from a player's perspective, Damien, when I went over to the UK, it was crystal clear, black and white, you don't gamble. You're not allowed to gamble on any um, footballing events or any competitions that you're involved in and there will be zero tolerance to it. So when Ivan Tony and, and the likes come out and say, you know, I, I wasn't too sure on the rules, I, I don't believe that. Yeah, I and I, I think every player, particularly in the UK who's playing, knows that there's zero tolerance. And yes, more has been made to to make players aware of this in the last couple of years and the examples of Tonali and Tony will help that. So uh, I'm probably of the opinion that I think it's it's good that they've been consistent with this ruling and I think that will maybe help the fact that you know we potentially don't have as many players having these same sort of issues or problems further down the line but it is definitely a subject that you could spend the next half an hour but talking about a football and gambling and the relationships people say oh you know players aren't allowed to gamble or it's, it's not good for the whole football environment but yet it is laced mm. for the adverts yeah and listen look at the sponsorship jerseys of Premier League clubs and the sleeves and the advertising hoardings and the ads in broadcast media and everything else that but the, another, another part of the issue is the number of markets and the depth of markets that are available yeah. and the ease with which some of those markets can be distorted. Like, you know, like I, I have a vivid recollection of being at a match. I'll be very careful how I tell the story. Being at a match a fair few years ago at this stage and the ball goes out for a throw-in from the kickoff, mm. and you're starting to hear murmurs a couple of months later about suspicious activities around clubs and you're like, you know, getting booked, red cards, yellow cards. Like, it's... I, listen, you and I aren't going to sort yeah. it here. The, but the regulation is, is, it seems to be improving to stamp that out. But I, I think from, you know, players have to be aware that if they're going to engage in, in gambling and betting, you're going to get a ban. Mm. And I think if if that is black and white, I think that helps players further down the line. Because Damien, the amount of people 
who I would have seen and it wasn't just from you know sports betting perspective gambling in general it's not healthy around yeah. the professional football yeah particularly when you've got so much time in your hands um, listen a couple of things we could touch upon um, anything in particular jump out of you from the Champions League over the last couple of nights Newcastle a bit of a reality check probably yeah I, I think Newcastle are going to struggle to get out of the group yeah. I thought that when it was drawn um if you look at the group home form is going to be imperative that they, they got as many points as possible I think losing to Dortmund puts them in a really difficult position to get out of the group still have to go to Dortmund still have to go to PSG and that's a really tight group Man City did enough in second gear rested a couple of players last night so you can kind of feel them ticking along Hallam missed a lot of chances last night for somebody last year probably would have scored four or five in that game he literally had that many chances I think they'll come good they you know, notoriously kind of stop start at the beginning of the season. I think you'll see them against Manchester United. They rested Silva last night. Uh, you would expect him to come back in potentially Phil Foden. They will be ripe for yeah. the weekend. And against it's, Man it's about it's the science of peaking for the latter stages of the year, which is what they need to do. Uh, just to finish, and on Manchester City, you've Manchester City. You had was it 115 potential charges levelled against them by the Premier League not too long ago. Uh, story filtering through yesterday about Everton and the. It's, it's, listen again you'd wonder how much information is being filtered out but like it, it feels like almost a formality that they're going to fa- face a fairly significant points deduction do you think? yeah I I, I I was listening to some of the stuff on I was listening to some of the media stuff in the UK today and it just read to me or listened to me like you know people were being briefed quite mm-hmm. extensively about what's likely to come so the club are being investigated over alleged breach of financial rules and like listen if they're to get a 12 point deduction they're in minus points for the season and that just further compounds what has already been a very very difficult start to the Premier League for them and mm. listen but, would, would it put the nail if so they've 7 points They if, if it ended up in a 12 point ban you're on minus 5 points and already you're really facing relegation yeah I mean if, if Everton are to get deducted points there's a question about Manchester City and listen and other clubs yeah and does this get tied up in legal proceedings for the guts of 12 months and you know yeah. it doesn't impact them within this season but maybe the next season you don't know um, Everton are in a position whereby they need a bit of structure around that club and they need somebody to come in and help sort them out whether that's going to happen under the new ownership I don't know I think they'll be okay with regards to relegation this year as long as they avoid a points deduction mm. but if that was to come in I mean that would leave them in, in really really difficult waters Okay We'll leave it there, Paul. Thanks for your company, as always. Uh, Paul Corey, who's been with us in studio. Plenty still to come in the programme. We're going to be uh, going to the States to chat to Shep, as we do on a Thursday evening, uh, later on in the programme. And coming up after the break, we'll look ahead to the Rugby World Cup final in the company of Mike Prendergast. Stay with us. Game on. Rugby. And you're very welcome back to the programme. So we're going to start our build-up to Saturday's Rugby World Cup final. The uh, pairing, I think, an awful lot of people, well, we all wanted Ireland to be involved in it, but a pairing, I think a lot of people would have expected at the outset of the tournament, New Zealand, against South Africa meeting in Paris uh, on Saturday evening. Obviously, the bronze final uh, taking place to, uh, tomorrow, England against Argentina. Joined to chat about that and much more by a regular contributor to the programme, a Munster attack coach, Mike Prendergast, is with us. How you doing, Mike? Good, Damien, thanks. Uh, listen, actually, I'll tell you what, will we get the bronze final out of the way very quickly? Can there be any enthusiasm amongst the England and Argentina players to still be in Paris at this stage? I'm presuming they just all want to be at home at this point. Yeah, it's probably it's probably a hard one mentally. Um, I think, look, I suppose for, for some of the English players, we, we've seen it this week that they've announced that they're retiring. Some of them are going to play like Ben Youngs and stuff. So I'm sure from that point of view, they'll, they'll want to send them out on a high, you know, and 
obviously Argentina, I suppose, from their their point of view, you know, overall, I know they got to a semi-final. Um, you know, they were probably disappointed in terms of their performance last week. So they'll want to end on a high as well. And, um, you know, but yeah, as you as you alluded to, it'll be, uh, it's probably a hard one to get up up for a bus. Mm. You know, um, I suppose being named third best team in, in, in the world is, is, is something at the end of the competition. Yeah. Um, how captivating a final should we expect then on Saturday evening like this oh, there's so much at stake but you've got two squads of players who are so experienced they won't be overawed by the occasion itself and it probably is one of these finals that the, there might be the potential for them to cut loose and put on quite a spectacle yeah you'd hope so I mean you'd hope so um, you know weather last week I think took a small bit from, from the games and apparently it's, it's a bit wet in, in, in Paris again this weekend so hopefully that won't um, cloud the game too much but look as you said you've two teams Massively um, experienced. Uh, you have two, I suppose, coaching staffs. You, you, you look at Razi, and I think since Joe has come in, just from a tactical point of view, how how smart they've been, you know. So that'll be. I'm, I'm actually really intrigued to see how that tactical battle will go on. Obviously, went for a seven-one, something they did against England or against um, New Zealand a couple of months back in, in Twickenham, where they won. The South Africans won the game thirty-five-seven. Um, but New Zealand are, are a different team now. They're, you know, we've seen it during this competition how much they've grown. I think certain individuals have grown. I think Mwanga is really, really, um, you know, stepping up to the plate. We've seen how outstanding has been for for the Crusaders over the last number of years, and probably didn't hit the heights that he has been uh, with New Zealand. But I do feel since this competition's kicked off, he, he's really stepped up. And um, you know, alone you look at obviously you talk with the seven-one, and that'll be a big forward battle, absolutely. But like you, like you mentioned there, you'd hope the game will break up because we've got, you know, three uh, unbelievable, sorry, two unbelievable back three sets of players there, you know, um, players that can, can light the, the stage up and, and hopefully that will be the case on, on Saturday evening. We see a, a lot of ball in, in, in their hands. When we, we talk about the 7-1 split, there are two names that obviously jump out amongst the um, South African replacements, Jean Klein and RG Snyman. And I, I have no doubt, um, listen, I'm going to presume you're in the High Performance Centre in UL today, that when that team is named, there's a great collective pride in the fact that two of the guys that you coach and that the other players soldier with week in week out are going to play on the biggest stage the game can offer absolutely absolutely two great guys you know they've 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 worked to where they've got to in terms of you look at orgy i suppose over the last two years the injuries the, the unfortunate injuries he's had um made his way back with us towards the end of the season and and had a huge impact on that and and obviously got into the world cup squad and it's been you know so um, powerful I suppose when he's come on for, for the South Africans for, for most of the games for the last 30 minutes and, and what he what he adds you know he's he's an incredible player and, and obviously Jean, Jean Klein as well you know in terms of this season I suppose last season a good season with, with, with us with Munster and, and obviously Rezzy took note and, and brought him into the, the South African squad and he's worked his way and, and two you know two great guys and as you, as you alluded to um, really tough for them, and, and for them to go on and, and potentially win a World Cup would be would be outstanding for them. You know, I'd be very very happy for them. Yeah, just on Jean, like it's you know people rewrite history. Like Ireland's 2019 Rugby World Cup, there's a lot of people. He he kind of became the fall guy for parts of it, and the the selection he'd only just qualified for Ireland, and obviously Devon Toner was left out of the squad. That you know it's it's been some road for him over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, in terms of the tough decisions and the focus and the scrutiny and everything else. And I suppose anyone who knows him will hope the ultimate reward comes on Saturday evening. 
Yeah, absolutely. He has. He's a mentally tough guy, though. You know, um, he just he's a guy that just keeps, and you can see in his performances. You know, he just he keeps the head down. He, he he's an incredible work rate. Um, as I alluded to, he had a really really strong season for us. And I suppose look with the changing rules and and, and whatnot, uh, Rezzy saw an opportunity there and and brought him in. And as you said, you know, he's he's probably had a on the international front, he probably had a, a tough couple of years. So um, you know, it just shows the the mental strength and and the. I suppose the want to uh to, to get him where he is at the moment and you know he's he's sitting on, on, on a bench in a World Cup final and uh potentially, you know, he could have a World Cup medal in in his back pocket come Sunday. Um when we look at the, the team selections, obviously uh Andre Pollard starts obviously big call to replace Manny Libuck, um, you know, after you know, so early in the game, um, last time out. Um the the seven one split, like seven one split is fine until you get caught out some weekend and you lose it back early and your hands are tied. But like are these easy enough selections because players have just played themselves into form the coaches know over the course of the tournament what their best team is what the most settled team is like I, I can't imagine there was much agony in either the, the you know the South Africa or New Zealand selection meetings this week yeah I think I think when you look at New Zealand New Zealand's probably more uh, more settled there was obviously one or two positions you know you look at Mark Talley against against uh, Ireland was, was left out for, for, for reasons and um Disciplinary reasons, should say, he came in. He he was outstanding last week. So, um, but overall, I think their 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 selection is, I suppose, more straightforward. You look at you look at the South African one. You look at even the nine and ten that started last week. They're not even involved this week, you know. So, I think there's a lot more planning. What Rezzy does, he uses games uh, leading up to the World Cup and maybe a season or two previous to kind of, I suppose, put that plan in place. You know, you saw it as I said in, in Twickenham that that seven one, but. To leave out a, a nine and a ten that got you to a final is a big call, but but that's his plan, you know. And on on that, not having a, an out and out nine, you know, there's talks of Colby um, covering covering nine, which is, you know, that, that's a key position. Obviously, your halfbacks are massively key positions, so to be changing them around and to get through and win games um, shows, I suppose, the planning that's went into it. But I, I do think. Um, the Colby situation where he you know he hasn't I suppose been exposed I know they're talking about he's been training there etc but um, it's a lot different when you're in there and especially in a, in a World, World Cup final but look as I said who am I to, to question Rezzy Rasmus in terms of I suppose his plan and his decision making over the last over the last four or five years it's it's you know it's worked he's a World Cup final um, to look forward to on Saturday being World Cup champions you know so and, and look there's a bit of entertainment in it as well in terms of uh, what he, what what he's going to come up with, um, but I think look the tactical battle be interesting one. There's a seven one obviously split for them. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Joe comes up with. You know we saw against Ireland the influence he had. I suppose one around the breakdown, two around that that four man. I know we can say Ireland you know could have defended it better, um, but he had a plan. Obviously then you saw the the Bowden Barrett little chip kicks. He saw that he'd identify that kick space in behind that that they eventually got two tries out the back of that, you know. So from a tactical battle, it, it's going to be interesting. But the, I suppose the question you asked me, was it straightforward? I, I don't think so, not for South Africa, but I think more so for, for New Zealand. But um, there's so many little subplots mm. we, we can talk about, you know. Yeah, Brody Rotala comes into the second round and places Sam Whitelock. Uh, Nepo Lalaula replaces Fletcher Newell on the bench for um, New Zealand. So listen, both sides locked on three wins apiece in terms of uh, the role of honour. Will it be South Africa or New Zealand who move out to the outright leading title holders by the close of business? Which way do you see this going? 
Yeah, it's a very hard one to, to call, I have to say. You know, you, you look at South Africa, um, can they go to the well the third week in a row? I think that's the, the big question. And what might stand to them is obviously the, the split he has went. So you will have players that are coming off the bench that have only played 30 minutes. And those guys that are on the pitch in general, half the team will, will, will play and have played kind of 50 to 60 minutes. So can they go to the well again is, is the big question. Um, you know, they've had a less one less day turnaround, which for a final makes a big difference. I think New Zealand obviously will, will be fresher. They were able to, against Argentina, you know, make their substitutions fairly early in terms of the, the game wrapped up. Um, very tough one to call, but I don't know. I just I can't back against South Africa. Mm, okay, right. Yeah, you're hoping to welcome those. Well, listen, if they win on Saturday, you're not going to see those two boys back in Limerick for a couple of weeks with the celebrations. Or I don't know. Can you crack the whip on them too much? Um, away, away from that, uh, Bundiaki nominated for World Player of the Year up against Anton Dupont, uh, Ardi Savea, and Iban Etzebet, and uh, Andy Farrell up against uh, Jacques Nienaber, Ian Foster, and Simon Rowalu of Fiji for. Uh, coach of the year like listen uh, there's probably no doubt in most people's minds Bundy in particular has been the foreign player of the World Cup from an Irish perspective Andy's obviously had so much success over the last um, 12 months but you listen they tend to go whichever coach will win the World Cup this weekend and Bundy's up against some serious competition for World Player of the Year He is he is but I suppose you know you look at the World Cup alone obviously it's for the season but you look at the World Cup alone and I just think that the massive moments that Bundy has had, you know, and, and you know, there's some incredible names there. Obviously, he's with he's he's in good company, but I I, I fancy him. He won't be far off it in terms of just the big moments within this, you know, uh, World Cup really stand out for me. And and just on Andy, you know, you mentioned him there, and as you alluded to, often it is the 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 team that win the World Cup probably goes to, to their head coach but you know you talk about consistency and the way Ireland play etc I think Andy's had an, an incredible couple of seasons you know mm. um, You'll be tucked up in Treviso presumably on Saturday and plenty of time to sit down and enjoy the match um, you know satisfied enough start to the URC? Yeah yeah satisfying we'd, we'd five points um, there were six academy players that managed to get game time as well which which is really important I suppose for the, for the medium to long term um, we go away obviously this weekend to, to Treviso I'm sure they'll probably um, have a couple of their, their, their internationals potentially back you know so and, and they're a very strong side at home but um, yeah look I suppose it's the way we wanted to start um, good performance decent performance in Tone Park last week and, and hopefully we can uh we can keep that that going this yeah. weekend. Connacht at home to Glasgow, Leinster at home to the Sharks. Both those matches on Saturday afternoon. Benetton uh, host Munster, as mentioned, on Sunday, and uh, Ulster at home to the Bulls on uh, Sunday evening. Mike, enjoy uh, the weekend. Good luck to you and all the squad uh, initially, and thanks so much for being with us as always. Cheers, Damien. Talk to you soon. Game on. Eye on America. And you're very welcome back to the programme. It's uh, time to do what that man on the voiceover thing said to do. It's time to chat about a US sport. Shep is with us uh, from the states. How you doing, Shep? I'm doing great, Damien. How are you today? Not too bad. Um, last uh, we spoke last week, you were like a man full of enthusiasm for the NFL. Was that NFL <laughs> enthusiasm diminished very, very quickly? It was, and then it was brought back in the middle of the second half, and then diminished again at the end of the game. And I've just been a sad, sad Saints fan for the last ten days. Yeah, that's the joy of sport, isn't it? But listen, you know the old cliches: you've got to enjoy. Sorry, you've got to suffer to defeats to enjoy those victories. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the New Orleans Saints, I mean, there is really no other saying to describe uh, the, to be a fan of that of that franchise. I, I really would. I, you couldn't put it any better, Damien. Yeah, well, see, listen, that's, you know, here I am, part broadcaster, part, um, you know, psychologist. The, 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 the 2009 Super Bowl, like, where does that rank for you in terms of moments within your life? Like, listen, Mrs. Mrs. Oh, up there. Mrs. Shep and the Little Sheps are not listening. So, you know, you can, you can speak openly. We're amongst friends. <laughs> it's yes. I mean, outside of family stuff, um, you know, uh, my my, col- my my where I went to college won two national has won three national championships in the last twenty years. I was at two of them. Uh, the Saints won the Super Bowl. I happened to be at that game as well. Uh, and then there was maybe one or two other like really cool like work things or something. You know, a couple of experiences that you know. But it's up there. I mean, it's probably top five would be my guess. You Good know, stuff. Yeah. Now listen, I can understand that completely. Uh, now come here. There's nothing. I like more in sport than a controversy and there's nothing I like more in sport than suggestions of spying or illicit behaviour and um, it's fair to say the uh, college sport has been can I say it's been rocked to its foundations this week yeah I mean look this is a pretty big story over here so look let's give a little background you know we've um, we've talked a little bit here in the last year or so about gambling and sports and that line that the athletes are now having to kind of walk look it was always there before but now that it's so proud across america you know it's just people talk about it just so much more this is a this i don't know if this is intrigue uh you know you've got you've got you got travel all over the country i mean there's just a whole lot of layers here but the nuts and bolts of it are um at the university of michigan and now damien the michigan wolverines have made the last two college football playoffs and are the consensus, you know, second best program behind Georgia right now. And they may have the best team that they've had since Jim Harbaugh has taken over. Um, they had a staffer on their team named Connor Stallions. Uh, it came to light that he has, uh, in the last couple of seasons, bought tickets to 35 different college football games across the country and has he or someone that he knows has gone to the games, sat in the stands, and pointed his phone at the opposing team sideline that they're interested in and recorded all of the signals that the coaches are sending in to call the plays. And so this is either an unbelievably elaborate system of sign stealing or an unbelievably simplistic system of sign stealing. It just depends on which way you look at it. But come here, I I remember I was chatting about this earlier, and it's interesting. We were we've been chatting a Premier League high-profile Premier League footballer in England has been suspended for ten months by his national federation as a result of being implicated in a gambling scandal or a, a betting scandal. So it's topical in the news over here today. I have a very vivid recollection, and I think it was Jeff Benedict who had written a book about the NFL and the business of the NFL. And like I remember interviewing a former CIA employee who went to work in the NFL and. Basically, his job was to decode the messages from the sidelines. So, like, it's fair to say this has gone on since, you know, Moses was a boy. Yes, I don't disagree with that sentiment at all, Damien. It's actually kind of um, part of, you know, athletics, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. But I think in the instance that you're bringing out and what we traditionally see as science dealing is... If you can, and the word you used was decode, if if I can figure out that if you do your hand signal in a certain motion five times and this, that, and the other thing, and then this play occurs and I figure that out over time, I think that's different than 
we are filming the coaches one way and then lining up the video you know, on another screen and going, okay, this is the signal for this play call. I think when you start bringing in And with that, the technology drops. We might give it a second and hope that it kicks back in again. Um, we will, yeah, we'll listen, we'll try and uh, re-establish connection with uh, Shep and to continue that story uh, about Michigan and the NFL. So, uh, you're listening to Game On on 2FM. A reminder, we've got coverage of the Republic of Ireland against Albania from that Women's Nations League game uh, tomorrow on the programme. Uh, live on RT2 television as well. Big evening of live football uh, on RT2 television. There'll be coverage of uh, the Shamrock Rovers St. Pat's game. Well, St. Pat's Shamrock Rovers to get it right uh, from Richmond Park as uh, Shamrock Rovers close in on the league. So double header of live football uh, on RT2 TV tomorrow evening if you want to enjoy that and coverage of the women's game this week and next uh, here on Game On on 2FM. Um, away from um, the soccer, Jonathan Sex as with a number of Irish aha I can hear you Shep I have you back I'm, I'm back I don't know what happened yeah listen the CIA guys that used to watch the NFL teams got to you so uh, this <laughs> week you see what we're saying folks there you go but so we're, we're chatting here like obviously you know there, there is like this when you drill down into it is is illicit behaviour but is it <coughs> listen let's not be naive enough to think that there is just one NCAA team that's been involved in this one would imagine uh, there's a number of Big Ten schools are potentially nervous this week that could they be exposed <coughs> from doing likewise so I would I would never suggest that there's only one group, especially when it comes to like college athletics, that there's only that one team has cracked the code to figure out how to like, you know, do anything. I think the biggest issue here, Damien, that you you have to look into is and it's the it's this question that you ask all the time when you're talking about government stuff. How far up did it go? Did were were assistant coaches aware? Was head coach Jim Harbaugh aware? The school has said that he has not was not aware of it. There seems to be, and none of the reporting gives any indication so far that he had knowledge that this was going on. Mind you, he's already in trouble for breaking some violations during the COVID nineteen pandemic when you know you weren't supposed to be talking to recruits. They self suspended him for several games at the start of the season, so he's already in a little bit of trouble. So I don't think it goes that high. But what happens if it gets up into the assistant coach level or be you know something beyond? So I think those are going to be the questions that need to be asked. Okay. Um, big weekend of sport, the World Series getting underway in baseball. And l- listen, you, you, we look at this, like, you know, there's, there's obviously people over this side of the Atlantic who follow this religiously and will be aware of the teams that you would expect to be in it. And it's fair to say there's a, a couple of dark horses after landing into the World <laughs> Series this year. Yeah, it really is, Damien, you know. And, and the baseball playoffs have, have been very entertaining this season. You know, some years you get them and they're not, and it just is what it is. But, I mean, it's it's been pretty action-packed so far this season. So you've got the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be taken on the Texas Rangers. These would not be considered your traditional powers, okay? I mean, this isn't, you know, uh, the Yankees and the Dodgers or, you know, something like that. I mean, these are, you know, smaller markets, Dallas and Phoenix uh, teams. Last year, they both lost uh, 100 games, um, you know, and, and two years ago. I mean, they had, you know, they had made the playoffs in a long time. The Rangers haven't been the World Series. I think it's been um, 
I think it's been about 12 years. The Diamondbacks haven't, I think, have only been once. So, I mean, again, these are kind of the dark horse teams. Both of them, big game seven wins, one over Philadelphia, one over Houston. They're, they're hot as can be right now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one shakes out. I think this. I think we're looking at close baseball game for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and but the great thing about it as well is you look at the Rangers, who've never won a World Series. Arizona have won one. Um, I think you have to go back nearly over 20 years at this stage. So surely for, am I naive to say for the benefit of the sport, isn't it great to see this being shared around and to see new forces coming through? I love it when it gets to this. Uh, you know, it, it gets boring, you know, it's the same team when the Dodgers are playing the Red Sox or, you know, something like that. I mean, look. A traditional team that I would like to see win more, Damien, I think you would too, is the Chicago Cubs, but that didn't happen. But, you know, it is what it is. The Diamondbacks won one more game in the regular season than the Cubs did, and they're now in the World Series. They they were a wild card, and now they're in the World Series, and that's what's awesome about sports. Yeah, and how, how important is that home field advantage? It is. It is. I mean, it, it, it really matters, obviously, when you get down to that seventh game. That's whether you're, you know, you're on the road or you're at home. You have to bat first or you have to bat last. It all comes down to it. Both of these stadiums will be rocking. I mean, that, you know, the Rangers have been around longer than the Diamondbacks have been. Um, and I think they've got probably more of a rabid fan base and considering that they've never won one. I think that stadium is just going to be, you know, going bananas. Yeah, brilliant. Long may it last. It's great to see these things uh, shipped around. Chef, thanks for being with us as always. Look after yourself. We'll chat soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Damon. That's Jeff Shepard joining us from uh, the States, and you can hear him on this very program every Thursday evening. So, a reminder, a uh, busy night of live sport to come uh, tomorrow evening, full and uh, exclusive coverage of that UEFA Women's Nations League game uh, to come here on a slightly earlier than usual game on. So that match kicks off, as mentioned, in Tallis Stadium at 5.45, uh, live as well on the TV, and then, of course, uh, coverage of all of the weekend's uh, sport across uh, the radio programmes on Radio 1 Saturday and Sunday Sport and uh, that Rugby World Cup final to enjoy on RT television as well across the weekend. Uh, a word of thanks as always to our team. Laura Lee Davies was our broadcast coordinator. The programme produced by John Farrell. Standby for Betta who's on the way after seven. Jenny's here after nine from Damien O'Mara. All of us here until we chat again. Thanks for your time.